Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning! Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time to wake up. It's five, and we're live. Oh, is this thing on? I don't care. I want him to hear. This is the pregame show. Your early morning shot of sports on 95.7. The game. Come on. Yes, sir. Good morning, family. Stephen Lankford in on the pregame show, 95.7. The game. Leading up until six o'clock is the morning roast. We'll take you until 10. I mean, it's great. Every single Monday, at least until really the playoffs for basketball end, we're always going to have a lot to talk about from the weekend. And whether it's regarding the Warriors, the Giants, the A's, all of that, even a little bit of football with the draft coming up this Thursday, I mean, we got a ton to talk about. We got a ton to talk about. Wanted to start off with the Warriors and that win over the Kings, and it may have been ugly, but a win is a win. The Giants and their starting staff. I was looking this up yesterday and doing a little bit of research after we saw what Logan Webb did as the Giants took 3 of 4 from the Marlins, but when you really dig deep, into what the Giants' starting five has been doing so far this year, it's pretty mind-blowing where they stack up against the rest of the starting staffs. Plus, I mean, with the draft just a few days away, there's been a couple of shakeups in regards to who the 49ers might pick with that third overall pick. And we'll see uh, what goes down on Thursday, but there have been more reports, more speculation, All of that, and it came out over the weekend. So we got a lot to get to uh, today. But let's start off and let's get to the Warriors game and their win over the Kings. And this was the point in the game which could have been a complete 180. It could have looked completely different 
had a couple of things not gone the Warriors' way. But let's just start out with the first sequence in the final moments of the game where it started to get a little dicey for the Warriors. Curry, pick and roll with JTA. Tries to get some room. Gets Holmes in the middle. Crossover, bump by Holmes. Dribble drive. Down the lane. To the rim. Inside hand. No good. Tipped in by Draymond. Warriors up three with a minute eight to go. Timeout, Sacramento. And we'll get to why that was such an important play and what that was a microcosm of how the Warriors got their win. But Steph... In his seven minutes of time, he was brought in a little bit earlier uh, into the game than he normally would. Normally, you see him probably around that six, six and a half minute mark. But this time you saw him uh, with about 720 left to go. He didn't make a shot. Now, he scored four points and he turned the ball over three times in the fourth quarter. But Curry, when the ball was his hands, he did not look great uh, in the fourth. Now, of course, he did get to the line. Uh, uh, for six free throws, but other than that, didn't look too great. And after that sequence, when Draymond tipped it in, that's when they had to call a timeout and the Kings inbounded the ball from half court. So Steph goes up for the block on Rashawn Holmes, which, really looking back on it, it should have been a foul. It absolutely should have been a foul. When they showed the slow-mo replay, it just... All wrist. They didn't even bother to call the foul, but hey, they got away with it. That's all that really matters. Steph takes the ball up court. Then he starts limping, right? And I'm thinking, I mean, as soon as he went up for that block and he started limping, I'm like, oh, please be okay. Please be okay. Please be okay. And at this point, it's 114 to 111 in the game. So the Warriors have a little bit of a cushion after that block. And then he gets that classic Steph look where he takes the ball up court and he gets double teamed, dumps the ball off as soon as that second defender comes over. Then when he dumps the ball off, those other defenders go back to where their original positions were, a.k.a. Harrison Barnes was going back to Andrew Wiggins while Rashawn Holmes uh, went back to protect the rim. That left step open. Then Steph gets the ball. And instead of putting up the shot, which he normally would between two defenders, he ends up just double dribbling. And you haven't really seen that too much. And you're thinking, oh, man, <laughs> like, like you got Steph. He started a limp. He hasn't looked great already in the minutes that he's been on. And then he does this double dribble, turns the ball over. And then when the Kings get the ball back, Draymond plays good defense on Buddy Heald. He couldn't do anything. Heald couldn't on Draymond. And, and really, I don't know what Luke Walton was really thinking at that point. I don't know why you didn't just leave the ball with Tyrese Halliburton instead of just giving it to Buddy Heald to try and get him to create his own shot right over Draymond. Like, that's that's never going to work. Nine times out of ten, that's going to fail. So they already made the wrong play there. Then again, Dre plays good defense. Heald couldn't do anything. <laughs> then the Kings get the ball back, and somehow the Warriors... Turned the ball over again when Steph gets trapped because they were about to, they tried to foul him and instead healed, fumbles the basketball, and really the game was over at that point. 18 seconds to go. Warriors up one. Curry in the backcourt, throws it away to Heald, and then Heald fumbled it out of bounds. Oh my goodness. Oh, Steve Kerr calls a timeout so the, the rest of us can breathe again. Now, really, this was, look, this was an ugly game. There's, there's no doubt about it. But in the end, 
They managed to get the win, and not only uh, could the Warriors not do anything in the fourth quarter, and shout out to Steph for hitting the most three-pointers in a calendar month, breaking James Harden's record, and they still got two games to go. He absolutely could get to 100, because in total he has hit 85 threes so far uh, in the month of April. So shout out to Steph. But everybody, besides Tyrese Halliburton, really was cold uh, in the fourth quarter. So it was just a sloppy game overall, a sloppy uh, ending to the game overall. But, hey, a win is a win. And the thing yesterday that impressed me most, uh, more than anything, it was the rebounding. The Warriors out-rebounded the Kings by about nine offensive rebounds which is something you haven't seen in a very long time. And it all was capitalized by this play from Kevon Looney. Back to Looney, give and go to Draymond, pump fake back to Looney. It's a two-man passing drill, no good. Looney, guys on rebound, tip no good. Third try for Looney, comes up, blocked again, gets it back up and laid it in. <laughs> what, did he have about seven offensive rebounds in possession? Wow. Yeah, the Warriors had 16 offensive rebounds compared uh, to the Kings who had six. And also, uh, you got to give credit to the fact that the Warriors also just capitalized on the turnovers that they caused while the Kings uh, didn't necessarily do that. Um, but I thought the rebounding yesterday, and you could uh, you could highlight that play by Kevon Looney. You could highlight that play uh, by Draymond that I had earlier where he tipped it in over Steph. Andrew Wiggins had a tip in uh, early in the game. Kelly Oubre had a couple. They were killing them on the glass, and that's going to be the key going forward here. Um, but I, I do feel like that this stretch that they're about to go on uh, is going to be pretty uh, exciting. And these schedules that the Warriors have compared to the others uh, in the Western Conference, it's a little bit easier uh, going down the stretch. But I do want to play uh, Steve Kerr here and his response when he was asked about that se- sequence by Kevon Looney when he had those four offensive rebounds. Yeah, Raymond said that he got his career high in rebounds on one play. And then in typical Raymond fashion, he howled with laughter, you know, after his own joke. So, uh, but I'm used to that with Raymond. So I laughed along with him and at him a little bit too. But uh, that was a great play. I mean, I, I you know, I love Loon. He's just, uh, he's such a, a, a scrapper. He's in there fighting and you know, he's not a guy who's going to uh, rise up and dunk on on the other team. He's going to he's going to have to find a way to get the the ball into the hoop, and that sequence kind of uh, you know showed his grit. So I loved it. Yep, Kevon Looney had four total rebounds in this game, five of which were offensive, but he gained all of them really uh, on that one specific play. Now the Kings were without De'Aaron Fox; they were without their star. The Warriors should have won this game. Uh, by way more than just four points, and it shouldn't have come down to the fourth quarter the way it did. But they do need to stack up wins here as these last, what, 11 games that they got? These are going to be the biggest ones down the stretch. You got your next home game against Dallas, then you're on the road for Minnesota-Houston, then you're on the uh, uh, back-to-back against the New Orleans Pelicans, then you come back home, you face OKC twice, then they got the Jazz, the Suns, and then the Pelicans, and then the Grizzlies. So they got actually a pretty easy schedule going forward. And where they stack up right now in the Western Conference, 
Um, it's looking pretty good because the Blazers, they continue to fall after losing their last two at home uh, against Memphis. Um, you know, you got to pay attention to San Antonio as well as Memphis, too. Um, but San Antonio have a relatively tough schedule going forward. And the Mavs, they currently remain uh, within that sixth spot. So there is a possibility that we could be seeing a Warriors-Blazers play-in game, which I would be a big fan of seeing. But it all depends on how these last games go. And Draymond spoke to this, and this is why I'm so excited for these final few games. Uh, but Draymond, after last night's win, spoke on how these last few games are starting to feel like playoffs. You know, that Boston game definitely felt different. Uh, the Washington game definitely felt different. The Philly game felt different. It's definitely a different feeling stepping out there once you start to, you know, get down the stretch. You know, you kind of got guys revving up for the playoffs, the guys a little more focused. Um you know, so it's definitely a different feeling, a little more intense. Uh, you know, that's that's when it's the most fun to play. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while since these games in April have truly mattered. Because at this point in the season, like let's just let's just go back to you know twenty. Let, let's just choose a random year from the championship years. Let's just go back to twenty seventeen. If you're going to tell me the next home game is going to be against Dallas, eh, I'm excited but more looking forward to playoffs. Then we're on the road for Minnesota. Eh, on the road for the Rockets. Well, that would be a matchup against the Rockets when they were uh, the good Rockets team, so I'd be excited for that. Then you got the Pels back-to-back. Eh, I don't know. Not that interested. We got OKC twice. Yeah, all right. They got Russ. Eh, they got Paul George, but other than that, they're not a very good team. That's going to be okay. Then they got the Jazz, the Suns, and the Pelicans again. I'm looking at that schedule in 2017, and I'm thinking, all right, just get me to the playoffs. But now... I'm paying attention to every single game with a microscopic view and seeing how the Warriors uh, stack up against this Western Conference. So it's going to be a lot of fun uh, down the stretch. And by the way, shout out last night um, to a couple of guys who stood out. One, uh, randomly, but shout out to Tyrese Halliburton for one. I mean, that dude, you know, you can hit a couple of floaters. You can hit the three. I I really like Halliburton a lot. But uh, regarding the Warriors... Shout out to Gary Payton. You know, in the five minutes that he had on the floor, it felt like they were five aggressive minutes. You know, playing good defense on a Buddy Heald, who is a volume shooter. Whenever he starts making threes, um, whenever he gets hot, he's going to knock them down. Uh, So shout out to Gary Payton. I thought he played real well um, in his five minutes on the court. Very five, five very crucial minutes, quite frankly. And then also uh, Kelly Oubre coming off the bench. I don't know how he's going to accept this bench role if he remains on the team, but it seems like he's absolutely thriving right now uh, when he's not on the floor with the starting five. And sure, he had 19 points on 17 shots, going one of seven from three. It wasn't a great shooting night for Oubre, but the energy uh, that he brings to that second unit, it's something different than what we've seen for a majority of the season. So uh, shout out to the, those two guys coming off the bench and then uh, Draymond Green just for having yet another uh, aggressive game, even though it did get a little dicey there when he got his technical and he's yelling at Buddy Heald when Steph's about to shoot uh, a couple of free throws and then Buddy Heald gets the technical on the other side of the floor. Um, there was a lot of good uh, from yesterday's game along with a hell of a lot of bad. 
but a win is a win, and you need to stack wins as this season comes to a close. 888-957-9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. But coming up next, wait till you hear these stats regarding the Giants and their starting pitching and how they've done so far this season after taking three of four uh, from the Marlins over the weekend. They're insane. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero. Stephen Lankford in on the pregame show. Ninety five seven. The game. Now back to the pregame show on ninety five seven. The game. Here's Stephen Langford. You gotta let this one ride. You gotta let this one ride every time. Good morning, everyone. Stephen Langford in with you up until six o'clock. As I, as I can guarantee you, uh, the morning roast is gonna have a great show for you uh, from six to ten. So you won't want to miss that. Uh, talked about the Warriors and their win over the Kings uh, in that first segment. I mean, there was a, a a few things to like in that game. The fact that Steph hit eighty three triples in a single month already by the first half, and that's the most in a calendar month ever. He has 85 total so far, and he's still got two more games left in this month, and the next one being the home game uh, against the Mavericks. So um, we'll see what happens there. Has anyone seen what happened over the weekend with... Trevor Bauer, the Dodgers, the Padres. Before we get to these crazy pitching stats by Logan Webb. And not only Logan Webb, but the rest of the Giants starting staff. Sorry, I'm a little bit flustered. The mic went down, don't know why, but it's come back up now, so we're all good. Technical difficulties be damned. Sorry. But what happened over the weekend? We had the Dodgers and the Padres. They had a series... And Trevor Bauer was on the mound on Saturday night. So before I get to these uh, Giants stats from the starting five, which have just been unbelievable, but Trevor Bauer, he's known as one of the most outspoken, you know, uh, rambunctious, rebellious, highest paid pitcher in the league, highest paid player in the league. And he's always calling out baseball for, um, you know, things that they do, their wrongdoing. He has his own vlog, all of that. He's trying to make the game more popular. Is he the dude to do that? I don't know, but he's trying. And, uh, you know, any player that's at least trying to do that, uh, I give them all the props in the world. So on Saturday, it was Trevor Bauer on the Dodgers going up against the Padres. And Fernando Tatis, he hit two homers off of him. The first one. He did his celebration where he turned to uh, the Padres' dugout and he covered one eye toward the Padres' dugout. The one eye thing, that's what Trevor Bauer does. He covers one eye because he says that he can strike you out even with one eye closed. So he'll he'll do that celebration, and he did that in spring training. Fernando Tatis remembered it, and then apparently um, just brought it back two months later. So he had that celebration. Then when Tatis hit a second home run, he had an even bigger celebration, and all sorts of details can go into it. But Trevor Bauer, after the game, had this to say when he was asked about those celebrations by Tatis. Listen to what Trevor Bauer had to say. This is just so good for the game. 
You know, he did it in the first. I didn't see it because I was paying attention to doing my job. And then he did it again when he homered off me again later in the game. Their dugout was doing it. Um, and I, I like it. I, I think that pitchers who have that done to them and react by throwing at people or, you know, getting upset and hitting people or whatever, I think, uh, I think it's pretty soft. Um, if you give up a homer, a guy should celebrate it, you know. He, it's hard to hit in the big leagues. Uh, so I'm all for it, and I think it's it's important that, you know, the game moves in that direction and we stop throwing at people because they celebrated having some success on the field. And now that follows up with social media, Fernando Tatis and Bauer replying back and forth, but it's fun banter, and they're just trying to grow the game in that way. I wouldn't be surprised if Bauer even got his number you know, and started texting him and saying, hey, let's just start kind of going back and forth at each other. We are the two bigger stars in the league, and we need to be the ones who are going to be making this look like we're having fun. And the Dodgers and Padres series are always a ton of fun. I mean, yesterday I had that game on, and, you know, they were down big. I just felt like Dustin May was scorching uh, the Padres, and I turned the game off. Because the Oscars were on, you know, and I had uh, I had uh, had the Oscars, but at the same time I had um, that baseball game to watch, and then you had the Warriors coming up at seven o'clock. So you know, I kind of had that game on in the in the corner of my eye, and then when I turned it off, uh, I just figured they were down big. But then the Padres ended up making a comeback, and it was a tie game uh, going into extras. Now it ended up being a little anticlimactic because. They just scored off of the runner on second. Uh, The Padres did, and the Padres ended up winning that game. But to the larger point, what Bauer did there, it's exactly the type of mindset I think that every pitcher needs to have. Then Bauer came out with a blog, and he did like a 13-minute video explaining those two celebrations by Tatis and how he could work on them, and he rated them. Um, and he, you know, he's just like, yeah, that second one was a six out of 10. You need a little more execution, uh, to come on the McGregor walk, which happened, uh, after the home run, after he stepped on home plate. But I just wanted to point that out to you because outside of the Bay area, um, there is some interesting stuff happening with these other teams. And when the Dodgers and Padres are so damn good and you got guys like Bauer and Tatis on that other team, when they do match up, um, there are going to be fireworks and he did a whole vlog on it. I mean, I mean, he's got like the he's got like the arrow, kind of like he's on Monday Night Football, you know, circling different players and pointing toward you know this area where he needs to be and all these different things. I just felt like um, hearing that over the weekend. I needed to play that for you. But let's get to the Giants as they took three of four uh, from the Marlins. And before I get to these stats so far from the starting five for the Giants, which are just insane. Let's just play one of the best calls that I've heard in a very long time from one Dwayne Kuyper on NBC Sports Bay Area. Driven right center field. Nobody's there. Come on, Webb. You got three in you. Let's go. And down the stretch he comes. It may be my favorite triple call ever and yes indeed he had it in him they let him go a 2-1 get it in fastball and he barrels it up (laughs) he hits it to the opposite field into right center manages to get the triple out of it after going a little cold because they kept on having the grounds crew delays where they were just trying to take care of you know the dirt 
and the rain and everything surrounding that. But um, that was one of the more entertaining parts of the game. It made it 3 nothing to the Giants. And then Logan Webb, after the game, had this to say uh, regarding his triple. I don't even, I couldn't even tell you. High school sometime in high school? No, it was, it was cool. Now I know why hitters like hitting so much. When you when you hit it and it just feels good, it feels like nothing. And that was fun. I had a lot of, that was, that was a lot of fun doing that. I was, I was definitely a little tired after I, uh, after I got to third. <laughs> it's like. Anytime a pitcher goes for a triple, uh, that's just as exciting as anything else that could happen in baseball. Second to, you know, Bartolo Colon hitting a home run. Uh, but in these last four games, and we go back to Thursday, we talked about it a little bit, but it was Aaron Sanchez's uh, game where he went five innings, only gave up two hits, had a couple of strikeouts, no walks, no earned runs, and he was taken a little bit early out of that game um, because they didn't want to aggravate any sort of injury as his arm was bothering him. But then on Friday, and I was at this game out on Friday night, it was great, uh, but Alex Wood had seven innings pitched, only gave up a hit, seven Ks, one walk, one earned run. Then on Saturday, this was the only loss, and it shouldn't have been the only loss, but on Saturday, Kevin Gosman had eight innings pitched, only gave up two hits, struck out 11, only had one walk, and gave up one earned run. And then yesterday, along with that uh, uh, the, that two-run triple, Logan Webb had seven innings pitched with three hits, eight Ks, and three walks, giving up no earned runs. And I've been looking at the, the stats for a while for the starting five and can only judge so much, uh, you know, after a handful of games, really. Well, maybe more than a handful. You can count more than ten on two hands. But anyway, that's neither, that's neither here nor there. But listen to the starting five and what they've done so far this year. They're currently ranked third in baseball, only giving up a 2.39 ERA. This is the Giants' starting five. Third in baseball. How long has it been since the Giants' starting five has been third in ERA in baseball? But that's where they're at so far, a 2.39 ERA. They've given up a total of 10 homers on the season, which is good for .75 home runs over the course of nine innings, which is tied for fourth in baseball. So they're giving up less than a home run on average of nine innings, which is good for fourth. Ten home runs total. And in a game where everybody's hitting home runs, it's just the three true outcomes. It's the strikeout. It's the walk. It's the home run. They've only given up ten of them so far. But here's the thing that really got me. This was the one stat that where I, I looked at it and I'm just thinking, damn, that's insane. They're left on base percentage. Now, how that works is really anytime um, that the runner gets on base but doesn't score, that counts as being left on base. The left on base percentage is 84.2%. 84% of the time, the runners are stranded. They're left on base. They don't score. That's damn near a 24% difference from the from the Angels, who are last in the league in left-on-base percentage. Only 60% of the time they leave runners on base. The rest, they all come home. The Giants' percentage is 84%. Now, obviously, pitchers who tend to strike more guys out, they tend to have a higher percentage because they're better at getting out of the inning and, and, and leaving runners on. Well, the Giants aren't that. They only strike out about 8.43 batters per nine innings. That's 24th in the league. And when I say per nine innings, that's the stat that they measure because 
Obviously, guys don't go an entire nine. They don't go that deep into games. So they needed a stat to quantify over the course of nine innings to truly see um, how they're doing. But they only strike out about 8.43 batters over the course of nine innings, which is 24th in the league. So they're getting it done not only on defense, but also pitchers are managing to get out of jams. And that's huge so far for this starting five. And it's led by Kevin Gosman. Johnny Cueto, whenever he's in, he's looked great. But it seems like down the board, they've had solid starts from everybody. And I'm sure, you know, Alex Wood and his two starts, he's contributed to that. You know, I'm sure uh, Di Sclafani has contributed to that as well. But these last four games, with the amount of earned runs that they've given up, the starting staff, that is, they only gave up two earned runs uh, in these four games. That's what's kept them in it so far, and that's what's made them have uh, one of the better records in baseball. Seems like a lot of records in baseball right now. If you just go down the standings, it doesn't feel like they're going to be the same all that much. Uh, It doesn't feel like they're going to be the same looking uh, by the time that May's over. It feels like some teams are going to finally... get back to where they actually can be and get back to their potential. But right now, that Giants starting staff has been a top five starting staff in the league. And by the way, they're also fifth uh, in the league in walks per nine innings. So they don't walk very many guys. They don't strike out a ton of guys. But they get out of jams and get out of situations where these runners could actually score. And that's where the Giants' strength has been so far. Triple eight nine five seven nine five seven zero is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. But coming up next, <laughs> the third overall pick for the 49ers. Who's it going to be? Well, a couple of plugged in, reputable reporters had some insights on who that can possibly be. We'll get to that next, and then maybe we'll reset uh, with the little Warriors as well. 888-957-9570 is the text line and the phone number if you want to weigh in. Stephen Langford in on the pregame show, 95.7 The Game. Now back to the pregame show on 95.7 The Game. Here's Stephen Langford. Good morning, everybody. Hope you had a great weekend. Stephen Langford in with you up until 6 o'clock as the morning roast will take you until 10. <laughs> and uh, and I can guarantee you that today is going to be in a very entertaining show for the morning roast. But not only today, uh, for the rest of the week and beyond, once the 49ers make this pick with the third overall. And we will uh, get back to the Warriors and their win over the Kings may have been ugly, but you needed to stack up these wins as much as possible with this final stretch uh, going down toward the season here. So um, good on the Warriors for getting their win there. We'll get back to the Giants, and you know I'll recite some of those um, the the stats from the starting five, which are just insane to me uh, so far in the season. Um, so we'll get back to all of that. But what happened over the weekend, and we'll start off with uh, what Michael Silver had to say first, and then uh, we will get to what Ian Rappaport had to say. But I will, I do think this, there has to be some sort of uh, trait in these guys, some sort of 
I don't how do how do I put this for the insiders here? There has to be some sort of attitude to where they're thinking, all right, if I put this out, this is going to cause an uproar. You know, there I'm not saying there's a hidden agenda, but when they have their sources and they feel comfortable enough to put it out into the Twitterverse and then in turn out into the sports universe, and there's got to be that little bit of, oh, man, this is really going to cause an outrage. Because that's exactly what Mike Silver did of the NFL Network. Now, he put out this incredibly long tweet. It was, what, seven, thre- excuse me, eight uh, different thre- uh, pages in the thread. So eight different tweets. And... I'm not going to read the entire thing for you because uh, at some point, you know, it, it, it's way too long just to read verbatim. But here are the most important ones. This is from Mike Silver. He says, it is my belief. Now, again, this is with a bunch of context that uh, he says he's not talked to Kyle Shanahan and, and, and all these sort of things. But he did give some context to what he had to say. And then he said, it is my belief, this is Mike Silver from the NFL Network, that the player the Niners were targeting when they made the trade under the assumption that Lawrence and Wilson would go one and two to the Jags and Jets was Alabama quarterback Mac Jones. Once they made the trade, Shanahan, GM John Lynch, and other important decision makers had the luxury of doing some extra digging. Both Ohio State's Justin Fields and North Dakota State's Trey Lance have many attractive qualities, and there's no reason not to continue the process. And then he continues saying, in all likelihood, I'd expect that Shanahan will stick with his original inclination and won't end up deciding if he likes Fields or Lance more than Jones, and that he'll never get a shot at Lawrence or Wilson, who will be off the board. So it turns out that he had his eyes on those two guys. In Lawrence and Wilson. So the reason that Mac Jones in this third overall pick uh, talk with Mac Jones, and you're, everyone's wondering why is all are all these reports doing? Why would you trade up? Why would you trade two future first rounders and the first rounder this year in order to take just Mac Jones? Well, that's what Mike Silver's saying here. Now, will that happen? He's again. He says he's not talked to Kyle Shanahan, and quite frankly. Nobody knows anything right now. You know, all these reports can come out. All these reports can surface and it can be the whole smoke and mirrors deal, whatever. And in reality, no one knows what's going to happen. But as Mike Silver continues to report this and then Ian Rappaport yesterday just deciding to drop on a Sunday when we got Logan Webb hitting a two run triple and we got. The Oscars and the Oscars, quite frankly, were, you know, a a little weird. I seriously, I just need a host back on that show. Uh, But that's neither here nor there. I don't need to talk about that right now. But what Ian Rappaport had to say yesterday, he reported that the belief is San Francisco has appeared to narrow its focus on selecting either Alabama quarterback Mac Jones or North Dakota State quarterback Trey Lance. That's according to to several sources. Now, you know, they go on to say that uh, Justin Fields has been one of the more highly touted prospects, but Justin Fields is nowhere to be found on this list. And now it's come down to either Mac Jones or Trey Lance. And that really 
you know, doesn't say much, but it makes you wonder at the beginning because it felt like when they did trade up for him and we're looking at Justin Fields and all the accolades, everything he's done with Ohio State. We watched his pro day. We saw how Kyle Shanahan was fawning over him with his, you know, to-go cup of coffee, the hat forward, and all of that. But, and also compare that to the Mac Jones pro day and contrast that and just look at the way that he was reacting when Mac Jones overthrew a deep ball. Then everyone's making the memes with Jimmy Garoppolo in the Super Bowl and all that stuff. So, shout out to the internet for really taking advantage of it. But, After those pro days, it felt like Shanahan was dead set on fields. But as more of this comes out, as more reports surface, to me, and and what this is telling me, really, it doesn't feel like the 49ers had much interest in Justin Fields in the first place. In the first place, because, you know, that's what, did we create that? You know, as fans, going on Twitter, going on the pro day, saying if if, if 49ers don't select Justin Fields, oh, there's going to, you know, whatever happens, if they don't select Justin Fields, that's going to be a mistake. You can go with Fields, you can go with Lance, just don't go with Mac Jones. And as all of that's coming out, I really haven't seen many reports that indicate that the 49ers are high on Justin Fields. And now that I think about it, after seeing all these reports from what Mike Silver had to say uh, on the 23rd, which was the which was Friday, so seeing that and comparing that with what Ian Rappaport had to say on Sunday, and then you take all the reports that have come out before that, you're wondering, are they even in on Justin Fields? or Or is this a way... <laughs> <laughs> for the 49ers to get a reaction like the one that I'm giving right now, which is, oh, we're going to make them think we're not taking Justin Fields, but really that's who we're going to take all along. We're just going to make sure all the reports come out with Mac Jones and Trey Lance. <laughs> did you get all that? Did you follow all that? <laughs> it's like everything that is coming out. Look, this Thursday is, and really I think as 49er fans, this could be one of the biggest drafts that you have, I mean, in the next 10, 20 years. It's that kind of draft. You know, it could be completely different. I mean, you know, you never know. The injuries um, could plague the 49ers once again, and they get another high draft pick. But it feels like this one is different. It feels like this one is really you're drafting for your franchise. You're drafting for your future. And it seems like right now, regardless of who the pick is, if this dude doesn't perform, you know, let's just say by the time they get another first rounder again, I'm sure they'll give it some time as far as um, you know, letting the quarterback try to develop. But if in the next couple of years they don't start to see some results and, you know, let's just say, you know, you get that first round pick back. Right. So you got 2022 and 2023. You got those two first or you got those two first rounders taken away. You're not going to have a first rounder in that draft unless, of course, you, you trade for a first rounder. But they're not going to have one again till 2024. 
And really, if they have a high draft pick at that point, they're not going to make a change at quarterback. They're going to try and get some other piece in order to build the team around this guy. You are drafting your franchise this Thursday. How insane is that? When you're going to be watching, I, are your veins going to be pulsating? You know, I, I didn't even grow up a 49er fan. I've kind of just always uh, more or less supported both Bay Area teams. But, like, thinking about this draft with the third overall pick, it's like this is going to be the biggest one in the next possibly five all the way spanning to 20 years. You're not going to feel this type of excitement for this draft pick. This is I'm not going to say it's a once-in-a-lifetime type of opportunity, and I could be completely wrong, right? But it definitely feels like, and you know what? This isn't even, this isn't even um, subjective. This is objective. This is just a fact. We're going to be looking back on the 2021 draft every single year going forward within the Lynch-Shanahan era, and that's going to be the one that defines the Lynch-Shanahan era. This is going to be the one pick which has to do with whether they stay or whether they go or whether there will be some contention because there could be a chance that, you know, within the next four years, by the time this quarterback's rookie contract is up and they haven't seen any results, this could get to the point where the 49ers keep Lynch and Shanahan, but the fans are not having it because they always go back to the 2021 draft and the mistakes that were made at that point. That's what this is going to turn up and turn, uh, come down to. And I'm super excited because you never know what can happen. <laughs> I mean, what, 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 from the 209 here, <laughs> this is something I actually thought about too. This is from the 209. All these quarterbacks could be busts. <laughs> we're getting, what, five quarterbacks taken within the top ten? Just imagine if none of them pan out. Just imagine that all this talk, we've been getting ourselves so excited, and then Justin Fields goes on to have a mediocre type of career. Trey Lance, you know, he's okay, but he's not the type of quarterback that's going to win you a Super Bowl. I mean, you know, Mac Jones turns into what everyone thinks Mac Jones is going to be. And I couldn't, you know, and, and I couldn't imagine being Mac Jones. I couldn't imagine being Mac Jones in a situation where I just had one of the best seasons statistically in college football. And I know you're given all the talent in the world. You know, you got your running back. You had Najee Harris. You had all those guys uh, as the Alabama wide receivers. You know, Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, whichever ones you want to choose. But if I was Mac Jones and I just had one of the best statistical seasons of my career and in college history, and then when I go into the draft, I'm getting nothing but trash talked about me because I lifted up my shirt once at a pro day and I happen to look like an average Joe compared to everyone else. Now everyone's diminishing the type of NFL quarterback I'm going to be. Hey, I mean, if the 49ers do pick Mac Jones with that third overall pick, you know what you are getting? You are getting a quarterback that has a chip on his shoulder. You are getting a quarterback that feels he needs to prove everybody wrong on top of 
being the quarterback who needs to carry the franchise going forward. It's a lot of weight on the shoulders there. But also there's the chip on the shoulder because you have, from the outside looking in, everyone in sports radio, everyone on Twitter, everything is going against you being taken with that third overall pick because it doesn't seem like Eddie Wood's going to going to like it if you are taken. I don't know. This this draft class is going to be insane. And we know how crazy we can get uh, about these quarterbacks, but I will say something feels different um, about this quarterback class that's being drafted as opposed to the ones previous. You know, I and mean, you look back at the ones with Sam Darnold and Josh Rosen, I believe Josh Allen was in that same draft class. I, I think even Lamar Jackson was there. Um, you know, it turns out that only a couple of them are are even NFL uh, quarterbacks that could take you through to the playoffs. Um, but look, this draft for the 49ers is huge. And this third overall pick is huge. And it's just <laughs> anything that goes on uh, with the reaction, if they don't pick either Justin Fields or Trey Lance, there's going to be something crazy that goes on in the Bay Area. I don't know what it is necessarily, but 49er fans are going to go uh, insane. From the 925, Mac Jones will be better than Lawrence or Wilson. Boom. From the 510, just imagine if the Niners make another Alex Smith, Aaron Rodgers mistake. Woof. From the 415, all we need to know about Mac Jones is teams will trip over themselves to move up for Fields and Lance if Kyle drafts Mac. Then also from the 925, Mac Jones will be better than Lance or Fields, um, even though I just read that one. Um, and then he went on to follow up saying Lawrence or Wilson. But for me, and before we transition here and move on to a little bit of Warriors talk and also um, these stats from the starting five, but... Uh, I think that there's a strong possibility that Mac Jones could have a better statistical season in his rookie year that's given if all these quarterbacks start on their respective teams wherever they're drafted. I do think that Mac Jones can have a better statistical season in his rookie year, Um, but then I don't know if his career is better suited than, say, Lance or Fields or any of these other guys. Um, who are kind of more heading toward the evolution of where the quarterback is going as opposed to Mac Jones, who's kind of an old-school type of guy. I could see him having a better statistical rookie season than all the other quarterbacks, but I see the other quarterbacks being better decisions or better uh, players for their franchise long-term. That's kind of how I'm viewing it uh, right now. I think Mac Jones could have a very, very good rookie season just because coaches are going to play to his strengths and his strength is strengths are the short intermediate passes where he's very accurate. But I don't know if that's going to translate to a career in the NFL, which turns him into a franchise champion uh, type of quarterback. So we'll see. I mean, there's going to be a lot of talk going forward, but I'm telling you Mike Silver and Ian Rappaport when they had those sources, cause they're not going to put out, anything just to rile up the fan base when they had those sources there's got to be a little piece of them that's saying oh yeah oh yeah i get to put this out i get to report this all day um before we get to these crazy stats for the giants starting five um as i reset here uh but the warriors win over the kings look it was ugly i mean down the stretch that final sequence after 
uh, that final few possessions after Draymond tipped it in and they ended up uh, calling a timeout. And then they got the ball back and Steph got the block. That wasn't really a block on Rashawn Holmes. It was more of a foul. Then Steph was on the other side limping, turned the ball over. Then the Kings turned the ball over. It was just an ugly, ugly final minute uh, to the game as Steph had got hot. He had 33 through three quarters. He was amazing. But then when he came in uh, with about 720 left in the fourth, uh, he couldn't do much of anything. But the Warriors needed to get this win as the schedule remains, they got to go home in Dallas. Then they're on the road for Minnesota, for Houston, and then for the Pelicans back-to-back. And even though it's an easy road trip, those teams have a lot to play for, even though they're trying to get a higher draft pick. At least their front offices are. Um, but I feel like those four games are going to be crucial uh, on the road in order to get wins because you come back home, then you face the Oklahoma City Thunder twice, then you got the Jazz, the Suns, the Pelicans and the Grizzlies. So a relatively easy schedule moving forward. And when the Blazers continue to drop down in the Western Conference, while the Grizzlies and the Spurs, even though they've kind of remained uh, in lockstep with the Warriors, remaining in the 7 to 10 seeds, I do think that the Warriors have the easiest schedule remaining out of those teams. So there could be a chance not saying they will, but there could be a chance that the Warriors gain a few games and possibly get into that seventh seed. Ooh, if the Mavs, you know, if they if they don't play too well on this stretch they got coming up here, the Warriors could possibly eke in to get the sixth seed last second. Hey, if you don't like the play-in game, that's totally fine, but it has made the final 11 games Just appointment viewing for these teams from the 7th through 10th in the Western Conference. And also, shout out to Steph, who just casually hits 85 three-pointers so far in the month of April, breaking the record, which was 82, uh, by James Harden. And he's still got two more games left to go in April. So just keep doing you, Steph. And if Steph continues to do uh, MVP-type things through three quarters, you think the Warriors would have a, a pretty good chance to win. But I did just want to get these stats off as the Giants go on to face what? You got the Rockies and the Padres in the next two series. 12 games against the Rockies and the Padres. Two separate series, um, three-game series, as they go tonight uh, at home against the Rockies. But so far through the season, they are third in baseball in ERA. This is the Giants' starting five at 2.39. They've only given up 10 home runs total, which is fourth in baseball, and they've left 84.2% of runners on base. That's insane. The next team up, the starting five, who's left 80% of runners on base are the Padres. And and if you don't think like that, that's impressive, imagine that. You leave runners on without letting them score, and you do it 84% of the time. That's insane to me. That's damn near 24% difference from the Angels who are in last. They've given up about 60% uh, left on base, which is not very good. So, look, the Giants starting pitching, they've been doing it in different ways, but when they took these th- last three out of the uh, uh, last three out of, or the three out of the last four, excuse me, against the uh, against the Marlins, I mean, it's been on the backs of the starting pitching, and it could have been a four-game sweep if on Saturday they could have, uh, you know, 
made up for Gosman and his 11 Ks through eight innings. So very unfortunate. Uh, but coming up next on the Morning Roast, it's going to be a terrific show. They're going to have ESPN's Jeremy Fowler at 7.35, then Dave Fleming for his weekly interview at 8 o'clock, then Joe Davis at 8.50. I can guarantee you it's going to be a fun show all week. We're going to have a fun week with the Roast here on 95.7 The Game. Thanks so much, everyone. Tune into the Roast now.